0: Welcome to the fourth episode of Libnani with Eli. I would like to welcome our special Lebanese guest for this week's podcast show Nesreen El Shwaifete, private speech pathologist and part time lecturer at the Australian Catholic University. With over 15 years of experience working in speech therapy and early intervention services, she is dedicated to support the inclusion and participation of children with additional needs and help them participate in meaningful ways within their community. And now, Nestrine continues the positive contributions with her new picture book, I Have a Magic Ball, available to download online and purchase today. She has an endearing and a cheerful personality. She shares the same birthday as Einstein. She's shared train rides with me to work, <laughs> and she shares the same surname as me. I am proud to announce the wonderful Nesreen El Shwayfete to the show. Hello, Nesreen.
1: Hello, Ellie. Thank you so much. Very humbled to be on your show.
0: I think that you have made some incredible contributions to society and your devotion and care that you put in your work in assisting children and their needs, I think is incredible and deserves recognition. So thank you for being on the show.
1: It's a pleasure.
0: I want to start by asking you about your interest and your journey into this field of speech pathology. Could you tell me what interested you in this field?
1: I think there are many factors that have influenced the career I chose. But I would have to say that having had my parents, who are both Lebanese, migrate from Lebanon to France and then come to Australia when I was six years old, I experienced and still vividly remember being a child. I had a great personality in my first language, which was French. And then I arrived in a school and my identity was gone. My identity was gone because I couldn't speak the language. I was the only child in ESL at the time, like in the English classes, and I always remember thinking how my identity had just gone without the language. I think in my mind, it didn't take me a very long time to learn English, but those memories that I have about how left out I felt, how I'd been taken away from an environment where my language gave me identity, it allowed me to make friends, also put me in a position where I had lost that. I say now in my career, when I meet a child, I can empathise and see the world through their eyes. If you had met me and you'd interpreted that because I don't speak English, that I'm not clever or I have nothing to give, then you don't get to really know who I am. And I try and look at that with those eyes. Whenever I meet a family and a child, I have been in those shoes. And I want to ensure that you can bring out the best in them with the way they communicate and the way they use language.
0: There's that quote from Nelson Mandela if you speak in a language that a man understands, it goes to his head. But if you speak in his own language, that goes to his heart. And in your role as a speech therapist and speech pathologist, I think that idea really comes into play when you are working. Could you tell me more about how those personal influences in your life help you to communicate with children?
1: Well, I think it's exactly what you said. I think communication is definitely more than words. I've worked with a lot of parents, you know, when they're struggling to learn language, but they need that time and patience to understand their wishes, their hopes and their dreams. So you understand as well that whether you have language or not, there's more than just language to communicate. There's also looking at feelings, looking at the whole person, and then being able to be resourceful. And I know my mum always said it with regards to her accent. She's always pulled people up and she says that accent has a story. I know a lot of people where the accent that they've acquired stops them and they hold a lot of challenging things that they have to work on when they're faced with people to not feel like they have to be more or be something that they're not. When there's a language barrier or someone is learning a new language or having difficulty communicating, I think I've deepened that respect and that understanding for how to go on that journey.
0: I think for many of us Lebanese people, we're a very diasporic country where we have many Lebanese living around the world. And I'm sure we've all had a level of that experience. And so it's a really nice point that you make that language is not just about words. Communication is key and the different ways and forms that communication can be expressed. How has your Lebanese experience influenced your position as a speech pathologist?
1: Both my parents are Lebanese and my dad in 79, because of the war, had to make a decision to leave Lebanon. It was unstable, so he married my mum and the next safest place and the best place for him to get further education was to go to France. So as a child, I know that there are many migrant children. I've met lots of different people my age and young who've come directly from Lebanon out of war. But I guess my story was very different. Like my childhood was in France and then we came to Australia. But what I learned with my cultural identity as I grew older was that In order to understand the wonderful values that my parents had and the resilience and where they came from, I had to know the place and I had to understand the history. And it used to be in my father's eyes the most that no matter how far he travelled in the world, when he spoke about his experience in the village, there was something very important. And I, I strongly believe in my work that the greatest tool that I have is the parent and child relationship. So that was my own parent-child relationship that influenced the stories, the resilience that I saw in my parents. And I think that's what happens when families or people have to leave Lebanon in unstable circumstances. They come to whatever country that they choose and they think, we really do need to make the most of these opportunities that we have. And I think as well, like for me, the influence was how my family, my parents especially, told this story. They told their story about coming to Australia and feeling as though they were very grateful and they wanted to give back. And I think that when I went back and saw the parents that raised them and the village that they came from, despite a village not having a lot, like it doesn't have cities, I always stand there, it has no Wi-Fi, I could see they came from builder communities. Like they came with people that make the most of wherever they are. They're not people that just sit at home and gather things for themselves. So I started to see that this idea of building communities and contributing and believing that the right people will come at the right time and you need to be grateful for every opportunity that you had. That has all influenced me. So as a young child, all those experiences of that contribution then started to help me to see my gifts. I think I was relating to children as a child as well very early on. My mum used her gifts in being able to speak other languages to work with young children with hearing impairments to support them to speak Arabic. So she started actually working with the Arabic speaking population. Her other language was seen as a gift for the community at the time. And so I was a little child that used to plod along. She used to do occasional care services as well for young children with disabilities. And I never forget, I was probably eight years old And I was on holidays and my mum was working with young children with disabilities. And I was sitting with a young girl who was the same age as me. She was eight years old and she had cerebral palsy Mm. and it affected the movement in her legs, but her hands and her intellect was great. And I remember as a child, I just thought she's like me. It's just that her legs don't work. I'd met lots of different kinds of people, different kinds of children, and I started to think, well, that's where I can give back, and that's where I would love to, and I love communicating, and and I loved, I think speech pathology also had a lot of my passions for linguistics, it had psychology, it had science as well, so... I was able to use that story to actually find a profession. But I always feel that it's such a blessing. I call it a really great vocation. It's been a place where I can share my gifts, but also a place that I get so much from.
0: There were two points that really stuck out with me from what you were saying. The first thing is the way that you look at these things. I think there are some people who may think that they have a setback, for example, having an accent. And I really like the way that you turn the setback into a perception of a gift. And I think with your story about your mother, by the way, a wonderful family for (laughs) those listening. I know Nestream's family. But what I really love is the fact that people who think that they have negatives in their life, reassess or re-examine and see that this can be used in a positive way and contribute positively to society. And the second thing that I really liked was your whole topic on family and the importance of that in your development and your journey into speech pathology, doing something that you really liked and you felt that you could really provide service to the community. I want to ask you, Nesrine, how important is family or a supportive environment?
1: Look, I think that we all need to be connected. I think that's so important. And I think as well, the more that I have grown and developed a greater understanding in my own career, we are wired for connection. And there's so much around the importance of positive interactions between parents, families and their children that has an influence on development. I think that that is so so crucial. For me, I use the parent-child interaction as a tool for growth and as a tool for driving. If communication needs to be improved, that's where I start. With my family, learning was never forced. I think that the adults in my life learned with us and showed us that learning was something that helps you to contribute, to give back. We loved learning, And maybe that's because of the strong values that my family have for the value of education to support you and build strengths. But I think the role of the family is very, very crucial.
0: We see in the Lebanese community, there is this particular focus or push on children to enter fields of medicine or, or be a lawyer. And it's a very limited scope for children to explore. And I think perhaps that comes from one sense where the parent is afraid that if they don't go into these fields, that their children are going to have financial issues in the future and they're going to have problems. But on the other end of the spectrum, you sort of see that maybe it's a narrow way of thinking about life. And perhaps if you do see the gifts and possibilities in your children then it would be a shame to not support and let that grow. So what do you have to say about that in regards to the Lebanese community?
1: I think it's very important for us, Elie, especially because I often feel, I always say, if you see the cedar tree, I'm enjoying the shade of the generations before us. So I think that Mm. if you're living in Lebanon and it's about survival, then it's a means to an end. And I would understand what it means for families that their child, like they have to aim for something. Like there's no time like us because we have so many options and sometimes too many options creates a lot of confusion as well. I think it's a very different mindset. And I saw particularly for my dad who was privileged to get an education, there was always that idea that there was a sense of survival. It was a very different time and now we're, I think we're back into it. To be honest, you know, it breaks my heart to see so many educated young people in Lebanon who may have been able to now choose careers. And, you know, I've met a lot of speech pathologists now in Lebanon and, and all of that. But then it's about survival. So I think for us to be able to think about interest and what's right for you, you have to have the basic needs being met. And I think we struggle as migrants. We have to think of the mindset that our families may have lived in. But unfortunately, I think we're reliving it. It's unfortunate that education has to be a means to an end. We're privileged if we're not just thinking about what job is going to get you money. Like I said, I'm living under the shade of that tree that was planted.
0: And it's a reminder to not take things for granted. I think with the stories of wartime and the experiences that our parents lived through and they pass on to us, I think for some of us, we improve ourselves. We try to take benefit or take advantage of the things around us that we can use so that we don't feel like their sacrifices for us were a waste. Mm. And I know I speak for myself hearing stories of my parents coming from Lebanon, and them telling me about the experiences they lived through makes me think, wow, I've really got it pretty good and I should take advantage of that, use that.
1: I feel like this time, Elie, like we know that the generations before us, like the great thing about Lebanon is that not having a lot or having that suffering builds character. And I often worry that our generations wouldn't understand that. I've actually channeled through these lockdowns a lot of the lives of our Grandparents, you know, when I say I'm bored or we don't have connection, I think what it must have been like to literally have nothing in those villages. And it's funny because I felt like my dad was quite calm to have that belief that God will provide and we will be okay because he's lived those experiences with almost nothing. And I feel even this lockdown is going to teach our generation about what's important and. When you're not connected, what can you do to build connections? It's a very, very interesting space that we're in and what it might do to us for what's important.
0: It really is. And I find myself during these lockdowns, it's a reconnection with family. It's a reconnection with friends. And I think it's a time to actually realise how much we we did take for granted. Simply getting out of the house and enjoying the fresh air and the sun and the trees and all of those Things that you don't really think of and now they're coming to the forefront. Nesreen, I want to go back to this concept of respect. Now, I know that you have a very incredible way of explaining this word uh, this word that is used many times in our discourse we hear it many times we hear it in the songs (laughs) r-e-s-p-e-c-t but I think we don't perhaps know the true meaning of it and I would love for you to share that
1: all right. A few years ago, I heard somebody, I'm always very interested, loving language as much as I do. I do love knowing where words come from and what they mean, but this was very powerful. So the word respect, when you break it up, the word re is to do again. And spect comes from the Latin word spectacle, which means to look. So often we use it as this cliche term that is a bit fluffy, but I think understanding what the word means, you hear an action. So when you respect something, you re-look at it, you look at it more than once. And I think that says a lot because when you don't respect somebody, you look at it once and you might make a judgment. But when you respect someone, you take time to relook and you may look from different perspectives. See, there's the word perspective again. It's about the way that you look. So for me, when I learned that, it kind of describes as well what I was saying earlier about, you know, when you work with a child who the world is not perceiving is talking are they communicating like how do we actually relook at something when we look at people anyone to be honest every person if someone is looking at them in a certain way they might have prejudice which means they look at them once and they just look at their whatever label they want to look at and make a judgment but true respect is relooking at somebody and taking the time to relook to understand to see more deeply I, like I credit that. the person who created the word.
0: But so you make it um, sound better.
1: <laughs> no, you know, what can you do? It was a gift to learn that. It was very empowering because yeah. I'm like, we always say I've got to respect someone. I've got, But I don't think we really looked at how deeply what the action actually means.
0: It's used in many different contexts, not just with the educator and the students, but also in everyday life what's the importance of different ways of communicating and what are some different methods
1: I think one of the most powerful questions that I always ask any family is tell me someone you enjoy talking to and tell me why you enjoy talking to them and most of the time I don't hear anything about families saying it's the words that they use so I always hear families say it's someone who listens to me, someone who's got a genuine interest in me, someone who waits for me, someone who has a sense of humour. And so that's what I always, because it's it's very common that adults naturally, when a child's not talking or not communicating, they think I should talk more or tell them to repeat. But what we know is that children, in order to have successful communication, they need someone to be attuned to them and be genuinely focused on what they're interested in and whether they're communicating verbally or non-verbally. I've had a lot of friends who are very clever, but they're shy or introverted. And it doesn't mean that they don't know how to talk, but they just need someone to interpret them and wait a bit longer or, you know, give them time or they need something more intimate. So for me, that's always about that positive interaction. It's never just about the words that you say. And I think for me, I know like one of the very, very common values In all cultures, but particularly in the Lebanese culture, is the very powerful relationship that families want with their child. But it also causes a lot of anxiety and worry. And with anxiety and worry, you're not calm. There's that feeling that you have to force it. So a lot of the work is about really helping a family become attuned and become calm because you know, you feel as an adult when someone is feeling anxious. The communication is not really there to be back and forth, but it's actually, there's a sense of urgency. So I invite, I think I, I always like to invite adults to start with themselves because if children could talk, they would probably tell us the same thing that we would want if we were communicating with someone.
0: It's funny that you say that. It is true in the Lebanese community, Some of us, many of us, we all want things rushed and quick. And perhaps it's a good idea to sort of take things slow and really understand and appreciate what a child's wants and needs are. I want to talk to you, uh, Nestrine, about the different ways as an educator to affirm inclusion and participation in the classroom. We see that there's A range of uh, students who come from different backgrounds, different beliefs, and everything in between. What are ways as an educator that you can implement to include everyone and make everyone feel like their voice matters?
1: I think as a child myself, I wasn't the classic child that was able to just sit and listen. But I never forget one story. I think I was, so I came to Australia, I was in year one. And then um, in year two, I remember I still hadn't learned English to a very high level, but I never forget this experience where our teacher would read the BFG, this uh-huh. novel.
0: Yes. And I was still Dull, not at the I level. Think.
1: Yeah, rolled Dahl. All I saw was the cover. And to this day, I won't look at that book because it was such a bit of a traumatic experience for me. So I remember she'd read the book. There were no pictures. And my level of English was not good at all. So I learned on the floor, I'd be sitting there. Thinking, okay, I've got to zone out because I don't get it. And so for me, she wasn't aware that I didn't understand. I didn't. Right. I remember I used to get excited when she used to use like different voices. She used yeah. to use sometimes the character the voices. Theatrics. Yeah. But now when I go, so I work a lot in preschools and I work in schools to help children that might find it hard. We mustn't judge that including children in groups is that they're quiet. We always have to think are they learning and how do people mm. learn? I mean, they say 70% of communication is nonverbal. And I strongly believe that maybe 10 to 20% of people will learn by listening, just listening to information. But what we know is that young children need to be involved. They need to have a role. I very much encourage for young children that teachers connect what the topic that they're talking about with props or games so that they can connect to life. They can actually feel as though they're understanding a topic. I think it's also children sharing their interests. So starting from a place of knowing and knowledge and then building on that, connecting with families and understanding what children are like. personality I had at school and the one I had at home would be totally different. I had life, I had identity away from school, but my teacher may not have known that. So it's very important that You get to meet the child, you get to understand what's important. Learning is not a one-way interaction where you just tell a child something. And that's what learning is.
0: It's a good segue into my next question. It's about your new picture book. I have (laughs) a magic ball. It's a gorgeous (laughs) book with beautiful illustrations. And I think it really plays on what you were saying about active uh, communication. And I think in this book, which is all about a ball, could you describe to us how those methods are implemented in this book and how it came to fruition.
1: Well, I have a dream, like to be able to demonstrate how this story can actually be expanded to be what we call like a multi sensory approach. But one thing is, I developed this story. It was a PDF made up book version. And as I said, it started as a game with children where they were holding a ball. And I would change what kind of ball it is. So, you know, in the story, we've got like an echidna ball, an eyeball, an ice cream ball, all different interesting. um, Eyeball. uh, Yeah. And so what I could see was that the children were able to imagine it was creating words because a lot of children don't have describing words or they don't, you know, like something's gooey, something's slimy, something's delicious, something might melt. And so I started to think about, Firstly, the experience, like this was a game and they were enjoying playing it. And then a book that could go with that, where they could actually see words on a page that link to that experience. And so I really want to expand on that idea that this book is a resource and an experience that can help enable how we plan so that book reading can be actually a whole of body experience. And I'd like to think, you know, if there was a child who came to a center, preschool or a school, and they didn't speak English, they'd still be able to know like a simple toy, like a ball, and be able to feel like they could enjoy and engage in that experience.
0: It's a beautiful concept. And I want to ask, where can people get this book?
1: Well, on my Instagram, there's the link in the bio. So we've got a number of different online stores. I'll have a website soon as well. I'm hoping to sell some book bags and I'm really interested as well in the fidget toy craze at the moment to be able to use the interest in a lot of the sensory balls that are already available and be able to connect that with the story so that children can actually enjoy that.
0: Friendly, I'll be putting the link on my page as well so everyone can check it out. Nestrine, it's been a pleasure.
1: It's really a privilege be able to to speak with you today and thank you very much i'm very humbled to be able to spend time with you you know when you let me know that you wanted me to be on this show i just thought about how would i describe the important things in my career the important messages that i have and i thought look at our flag look at what it's chosen to actually have as a symbol it's chosen a tree that includes growth when we work with children we think of the power of their influences and what's helping them grow so for me the cedar tree has a very very important meaning
0: i can't but wait for the next train ride with you <laughs>
1: <laughs> for real <laughs>
0: for real thank you so much Nestrin. so you guys check out Schweifetz's new picture book i have a magic ball I absolutely love the concept. The illustrations look so beautiful. And I think all children will enjoy reading this book. See you in the next episode.